Tonight I'm going to be reading from the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 15 to 23. Uh, this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. And Paul often begins his letters with a greeting. And then he has a thanksgiving and prayer section addressed to the people he's writing to. And tonight we're going to read the thanksgiving and prayer section from this letter to the Ephesians. So this is what Paul is thankful for about the believers in the city of Ephesus and also what he wants to ask the Lord on their behalf. Let's read God's word for us, his people tonight. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So this past week, Laura and I cleaned out a couple of closets in our basement. These are the closets that we've sort of just been shoving stuff into when we didn't want to deal with it, or weren't quite sure we could throw it away yet, or just didn't know where else to put it, and those closets had just gotten too full. So we went through them this week, we dealt with this, we dealt with that, and one of the things we had to deal with was what we call memory boxes. These things that we have that have keepsakes and trinkets and pictures and all these things that are connected with memories. Some of it was from the last few years. Some of it was from a long, long time ago. And a lot of it, an embarrassing lot of that stuff actually, as I opened my box and looked through them, was just junk. I'd open a box, I'd look inside and I'd think, why did I ever keep this? What? What is this even? There was stuff in those boxes. It took me a couple of minutes to figure out what it even was. Why in the world did I keep all that? But then as I dug through the stuff, as I looked at it, and as the memories came to mind, I realized I kept a lot of that stuff because I felt like it was part of my identity. That stuff reminded me of who I was or who I wanted to be. There were tickets of trips I'd gone on. There were concert tickets. There were some old notes I'd written about different things. There were old high school and college projects that I thought were really important back then. And yet as I looked through it all, and you can guess from the way I'm telling this story, as I looked through it all, it really didn't matter all that much. I thought I needed it back in the days long, long ago. People had argued with me about getting rid of it, but I felt like I needed it. But then as I looked through it this week, I thought, boy, I really don't need this anymore. What do we really need? What do we really need? 
there's a lot of things in our lives that we think we need. A lot of things that we think we need. Sometimes we're tempted to define our lives by our stuff, by what we have. Sometimes we're tempted to define our lives by our abilities or what we can do, our accomplishments. I need to do this, or I need to have that. Whether it's a trip, or a car, a new coffee maker, or a new skill, there's a lot of things we think we need. And some of them are really, really important things. Some of them are trivial things, just things we want. But there's also a lot of things in our lives that we really need. We talked about a lot of those earlier when we took our prayer requests. There's a lot of things that we need. But really, 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 when it comes down to it, what do we really need? If you were going to ask God for just one thing, just one thing, what need would you ask him to address? Paul, when he wrote the letter to the Ephesians, could have asked for anything. He could have asked for anything for these believers, for health, for wealth, for any kind of blessing. And what does he ask for? Now, that's a long thing in there that Paul's written. It's kind of complicated. But what it all boils down to is that Paul asks, Paul asks for the believers, for the Ephesians, for us to be able to know God better. What do we really need? We need to know God and to know Him more. What Paul really prayed for, his fundamental prayer request, was that people who believe in Jesus would come to know God more. Paul prays that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened so that we could know God and what He's doing for us. And this isn't just a prayer that we would know more about God, that we would have more knowledge about Him. This is a prayer that we would know God as we know our closest friends and family members. This is a prayer that we would experience God more deeply, that we would grow into deeper faith and deeper love of the Lord. The fundamental prayer here is that we would know God better. And then we can ask, how can we come to know God better? How do we come to know God and Paul talks about a number of things, especially in verse 18 and 19. But he spends the most words, the most time focusing on God's power. Paul really emphasizes that point about God's power. In verse 18, he talks about God's incomparable power for those who believe. And that power is working through the mighty strength of God. Power like the working of God's mighty strength. Paul uses some different words there in the Greek, but basically he's saying, well, his prayer is that through God's powerful power, working powerfully on our behalf, power, 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 power. Again and again, Paul says that in these verses. He wants us to think, to reflect, to look toward God's power. The only way that we can come to know God better is through God's power. Anybody can learn about God. Anybody can read the Bible or hear a sermon and develop some facts about God. But to really know God, to really develop a relationship with Him, we need God Himself to be powerfully at work in us. 
And that's why in verse 17, Paul asked that God give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we would know God better. Apart from God's spirit, we can't know God. The only way we can know God is if God's spirit comes to us and is at work in us to show us God himself. It's through the spirit opening the Bible to us, through the spirit opening our hearts to Jesus, through the Spirit opening our hearts to the story of salvation, that's the only way that we can come to know God. And then we can ask, where do we see God's power at work most clearly? Where do we really see God's power at work? If you were going to pick one thing, one person to look toward, what would you look toward to know God's power? And you can guess the answer to this. It's not too hard. It's a Sunday school answer. We see God's power at work most clearly in Jesus Christ. If you want to see what God's power is like, if you want to come to really know God more, then look to Jesus. If you really want to know God, then you need to depend on God's power and you need to look to Jesus. So tonight I'm going to look at three different ways that God's power is at work in Jesus. All of these ways are true for the whole world. They apply to all of creation. And they're also true for every single person who believes in Jesus. So we're going to look at three ways that we see God's power at work in Jesus. First, Jesus is exalted over death. Jesus is exalted over death. Over death. We see God's power at work most clearly in Christ Jesus, exalted over death. As the Apostles' Creed said, we believe in Jesus Christ who rose again from the dead on the third day. Now we talk about that a lot. Most weeks here we recite the Apostles' Creed and we say that line, but I'm not sure how often we pay attention to what we're saying. That's a really powerful, that's a really crazy thing we're saying. I mean, Jesus was really dead. His body was completely, utterly dead. And then it really, truly came back to life. Jesus really went all the way to death, and then in God's power, he came back again. We don't like to talk or think too much about death and with good reason. You know, I recently read a book. It's, it's a fictional book, just to be clear. And it starts out with this man who's about to be executed. He's committed some sort of crime against the state and he's sentenced to be hanged. And he tries all these things to escape. He works at this, he works at that. He tries to break out of his cell and he can't make it. The morning of his execution comes, he gets let out to the scaffold. And as he's up there, the hangman says, well... Traditionally, people have an opportunity to say some last words. Did you think of any famous last words you'd like us to remember you by? And this guy who's been convicted to be executed says, I don't know. I, I wasn't really expecting to die today. I, uh, I kind of kept expecting something else to come up. I kind of kept expecting something else to come up. Even when death is right in front of us, we like to run away from its reality. We don't like to think about it. We don't like to look at it. We don't like to talk about it. We like to cover it up. We always expect something else to come up. 
But that's not how it is. The story always ends with death. Now that's not true for the Christian story. But if we don't get that, if we don't pay attention to that reality, the rest of the story loses some of its power. In the Christian story, death is not the end. In the Christian story, death happens and it's real and it's terrible and it's hard. But Christ rose again. In Christ, we see God's power at work to conquer death. Death, that thing that we're all scared of, that we don't like to talk about, that does not have the victory. For us as Christians, something else, someone else has come up through the power of God, Christ rose from the dead. And through the power of God, all who believe in Jesus will rise again. Christ is exalted over death, and that means that he gives us new forever life. And as we come to know God more, we find his power at work within us to give us new life today and to make us live forever with him. That's our eternal comfort. It's comfort for us who believe today. It's also comfort for all the family members we have, all the friends we have who passed away, that in Christ they will be raised again. Christ is exalted over death. The final enemy has lost, and Jesus has the eternal victory. Well, Ephesians also tells us that Jesus is exalted over all other authorities. We see God's power at work in Jesus Christ, exalted over all other authorities. Ephesians tells us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God has placed all things under his feet. Jesus even now sits at the right hand of God in heaven. Jesus is in the throne room. He has the most powerful position imaginable. He is above any other authority that you can think of. Ephesians here goes on a bit. Authority, power, might, principality, everything. Jesus Christ is exalted above everything else. Do you get it? Jesus is above everything, everything, everything else. And everything has been put under his feet. Now that doesn't always look like it in our world today, but we can be encouraged by this truth that Jesus Christ is truly exalted above all other authorities. Many, many years ago in medieval Europe, there was a German king called Henry, and he got into a big fight with an Italian pope called Gregory. So King or Emperor Henry and Pope Gregory, they had this power struggle over who got to appoint bishops in the church, and there were a lot of other things. But they got in this huge, huge fight, and in the end, Pope Gregory excommunicated Henry. He kicked Henry out of the church, and he basically told all the other countries around Henry, you can go attack him, go after him, take his land away. He's not a legitimate king anymore. Kick him while he's down. And King Henry realized this was a problem and he had to make it up to Gregory. So he went from Germany and he had to cross the Alps to go to this castle where Gregory was living at this point. So this king had to walk through the winter, through the January snow in the mountains, 
to go to this castle. And just to make it worse, for some reason, he decided he had to go barefoot. So he suffered day after day after day walking toward this castle. And then he gets to the castle where Gregory is, and he had to sit outside for three days in the winter, barefoot, freezing. Lost all his power? Maybe. Humiliated? Certainly. In trouble? Yeah. Did things look pretty dark? You bet. And in the end, Gregory took Henry back for a little bit, pardoned him and all that. But within a few months, they were fighting again. Gregory had humiliated Henry. He'd kept him out in the cold. And then he encouraged the kings around him to attack him. But then Henry turned the corner. Henry beat back all his opponents. He won the Civil War. He marched on Rome. He took over Gregory's own place. And Gregory had to run away and hide. Often in our lives, we feel like Henry at that middle point. We've gone through the cold, through the suffering. We feel like we have nothing left. We've been humiliated. We've been beaten down. Somebody else is winning. But even when things are dark, even when we feel like we're out in the cold and nothing is making much sense, that's not the end of the story. At the end of the story, somebody always wins. And in the Christian story, it is always, always, always Jesus who wins. Jesus always wins. Even when, we're, even when we're in the thick of it, it seems like we can't see a way that Christ can possibly get us out of the mess we're in. The real fundamental truth of the universe is that God's power is at work in Christ and Christ has authority over all other authorities. Jesus has given the kingdom of death, the kingdom of evil, its death blow. There are still battles, there are still terrible things happening, but Jesus has authority. No matter how dark and how cold and how terrible things seem, Jesus really is now, today, and forever exalted above all other authorities. Jesus reigns now and forever. And finally, Ephesians tells us that Jesus is exalted over the church. We see God's power at work in Jesus Christ exalted over the church. All things have been put under the feet of Christ. Christ has been appointed the head of everything for the church, Ephesians tells us. Every other power in the world has been placed under Jesus' feet. And after making that huge, powerful, cosmic statement, Ephesians turns to us. Ephesians turns to God's gathered people and says, Jesus is your head. The church, the body of Christ, has Jesus as its head. God's power is at work in us. The king of the universe, the most powerful being, the one who is exalted above every other authority. Every time that Christians gather, whether we gather as a dozen or a hundred or ten thousand, our leader is the ruler of the universe. Even when the church doesn't look so strong, the power of God is at work in God's people to do mighty things. 
even when it seemed like we're facing impossible odds and tremendously difficult situations, Christ, the exalted ruler of all things, he is present with us. Even when the church looks small and weak, even when we feel like we can barely get by, Jesus is at work in and among us in a special way that he is at work nowhere, like nowhere else in the world. Even when we feel small and weak, even when we feel powerless and hopeless, Christ cares for us, Christ has claimed us as his people, and we belong to him. And that means that here, in the midst of God's gathered people, this is where you find the greatest power in the universe. The church is the most power-filled place, the most power-filled, power-filled people that you will ever encounter. It may not always look like it, it may not always feel like it, but because Jesus is the head of the church, because Jesus is exalted over us, because Jesus cares for us, we have the greatest power of any institution, of any group the world has ever, ever seen. In Jesus, we have everything that we need. And what we really, really need is to know God more through his power. And the best way that we see Jesus' power, God's power is by looking to Jesus. Jesus who is exalted over death. Jesus who promises to bring all of us to eternal life with him if we belong to him as his people. Jesus who has power over all other authorities in heaven and on earth. Jesus who is exalted over the church and who rules us and cares for us as his people. If you really want to find what you need, look to Jesus. If you want to be made truly complete in faith, in love, in hope, in peace, then look to Jesus. Look to Jesus, the resurrected, reigning Lord and Savior of his people. May the eyes of all of our hearts be truly enlightened so that we can know God in Christ Jesus more and more.